welcome to another episode of Vote for Next Cast, the podcast where I chat to people from college societies from all across the country to help you discover new things. We are brought to you by, of course, Vodafone X, the awesome mobile plan for young people and students, which gives you unlimited data, unlimited weekend calls, and loads of ways to discover yourself, including access to a huge range of free online courses. Make sure to check it all out and get signed up at VodafoneX.ie, and you will also find all the other Vodafone X cast episodes up there. Now, this episode is the science one, so it's going to be really, really interesting. We have some lovely guests coming on. They are Barry Sheeran from Science Society UCC. We have Ben McKeown from Astronomy Society UL. And we have Katarzyna Plesnier from Neuroscience Trinity College Dublin. You're very welcome. Hi. Hi, how's it going? How are you getting on? Thanks for joining me today. You can just call me Katz. You've done a fantastic pronunciation of my name, but honestly, I've been living in Ireland for so long, everyone just calls me Kat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, go with Kat, so thanks very much. Can you explain to me, please, in as simple terms as possible, what is neuroscience? So neuroscience basically is the study of the nervous system in one sentence, but it's really anything to do with the nervous system. I mean, it, it ranges from uh, philosophy of neuroscience, what it means to be conscious, to how the brain develops and genetics of the brain, like what makes us kind of who we are so it's it's really broad and there is something for everyone in it that sounds like it's it's, it's very uh complicated and, and requires high intelligence to even be involved in society does it uh, not necessarily <laughs> i mean i think the only kind of prerequisite to to be interested in neuroscience is to just simply be curious about how things work and how the brain works and and that's it you can always you know, find someone who will explain to you the more complicated things. There's so many great resources online that I think intelligence wouldn't be the determining factor. It's more about whether you actually have that kind of natural curiosity to, you know, I wonder how does it work if, you know, I feel pain and where does that come from and, and all that. So. Oh, no, I, I like that. It's definitely a very interesting area, but me, me myself, I know I'd be like, oh, gee, I don't know if I want to get into a conversation with neuroscientists now. I'm so out of my depth there. But you're saying it's more so just about having the interest. And once you have the interest, that kind of sparks all the, the talking and then it just comes naturally to you. Is that how you first got involved? You were just interested in the brain or how did you get involved? I actually stumbled upon neuroscience when I was preparing my college applications and I found an online course in medical neuroscience. And it was so difficult that I actually had to do it twice, but I found it so interesting that I was like, do you know what? I'm not going to give up. I failed it the first time. I'm going to do it again. Um, and then I did my undergrad in neuroscience and became involved in the neuroscience society in my uh, undergrad degree. And now in my postgrad as well, because it's just something so fascinating. And like every day you get to learn new things and it kind of never ends. I'd imagine that, yeah. What kind of stuff do you get up to then in the Neuroscience Society? Are you having events? Are you having talks? What happens in, in the society? So we actually, uh, well, obviously this year it's been a bit different, but we try to have, um, we invite uh, guest speakers to hold, to have lectures and uh, learn about new topics. Uh, we also hold a coffee chat Zoom for all of our members every two weeks on a Friday uh, where everyone just kind of comes along, has a cup of coffee and just talks about their research problems or whatever they're doing now. And we also are starting uh, and st have started a podcast where we talk about, it's mostly advice-based, um, how to choose your PhD program, how to choose your postdoctoral um, fellowship and what to do before you step into a lab. Yeah. So is the society then full of people that are actually um, doing a course or being educated in the neuroscience area? Or is there people just involved that are interested in the brain and want to know more about it? I think we have a good mix of, of 
uh, of members, a majority of them actually are either studying neuroscience or studying a science course, but are interested in neuroscience. Uh, however, we upload our um, recordings of our talks on YouTube, which are obviously free to, to watch. And we are always very happy when someone sends us a message on Twitter and being like, hey, can I, you know, I'm not a member because I'm not in university, but can I, you know, get a link to the recording and, or can I uh, join uh, the, this event or that event? And it's always really nice when you're like, yeah, of course. You know, it's all, it's all there. It's all free. Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm getting at there is basically the person sitting at home listening to this. They're not in Trinity doing neuroscience. They don't plan on doing neuroscience, but they're just interested in to know more about the nervous system so they can get in contact with G and, and get more information. Yeah, of course. Definitely. Brilliant. Ben, can you explain to me uh, what astronomy is in simple terms? Uh, well, to sum it up at its base level, astronomy is basically something I suppose humans have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. It's almost been uh, the species kind of amateur hobby for millennia. To sum it up really is all it really is, is just going outside on a clear night and looking up and kind of just seeing what you see. Obviously, with the way technology has gone, obviously we have a lot more we can do with telescopes and all of the other bits and pieces that we use to kind of examine the night sky. But uh, at its base level, it's really the whole idea of just going outside and looking up is still the key ingredient, which uh, which hasn't really changed over the, the course of thousands of years. Yeah, that's true. So it's basically everything outside of Earth. You look up and it could literally be anything. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, the stars, the planets, the whole lot. And the, the fascinating thing is immediately you don't really know what you're looking at. Obviously, you can get different apps. Like I have one on my own phone called Sky Safari that's really, really cool. Like you might be looking up on a clear night and you just might... Something might catch your eye and you'd be wondering, geez, I wonder what that is. And I suppose if you use the app or whatever, you can kind of hold your phone up and it'll tell you what you're looking at, which is which is really cool. Sometimes things might look a bit closer or further away and you might actually find out that what you're looking at is uh, it's actually a planet rather than a star, which is uh, which is always pretty cool. No way. So there's an app on your phone and you point it up towards the sky and you can it tells you what you're looking at. Uh, yeah, Sky Safari. It's, uh, it's great. I only really kind of started using it over the, the first lockdown last year. I was, uh, I was totally blown away by it. That's amazing. Is it free to download? Absolutely. Yeah, you can, uh, you can spend a few quid to, to get a premium version. But I mean, I use the free version and it, it works a treat. So I would absolutely, yeah, I'd recommend it. Wow, that's, that'd be an amazing way to even get into astronomy just starting like that. I'd, I'd like to have a look at myself. So how does the Astronomy Society work in, in general? Like, do you meet up and you all have your telescopes and you look up and talk about what you're, what you're looking at or have events? What, what do you get up to in the Society? Uh, well, I suppose pre-COVID, the main way things would have worked is uh, there's a we've a fairly high-powered uh, telescope in the university that belongs to the physics department, and that thing is uh, some piece of kit. In fairness, it's uh, it's, it's worth a pretty penny as well. So we're we're very lucky to have it. But uh, usually, take that out and go uh, stargazing on a clear night. Uh, but uh, obviously, the Irish weather isn't always on our side. So normally, we'd have guest speakers and other events. Maybe we might meet up to watch a rocket launch, like I know SpaceX are throwing rockets up almost every second week. So uh, we're not stuck in that regard. That's cool, man. Barry, my friend. Yeah. Why do you think science is a great way to discover new things about yourself? You're interested in science in general, aren't you? I suppose science is hard and don't let anybody tell you differently. But what is class about it is that 
if you're interested in it. Science will humble you. Science will knock you down. You know what I mean? Like there are there is many, many a time that I'm sitting at home here doing a lab report or studying for an assignment or a test and I'm staring at the screen and I'm like, I have no idea what is going on here. You know, everyone comes across that at some stage. But if you're interested, you'll find a way. In a very kind of odd sense, it nearly boosts your confidence by taking it away. There's a great sense of team building and, you know, just, like, just teamwork. Like, I, I don't do anything by myself, except when it comes to exams, obviously. Jesus, you know, don't get kicked out of college. <laughs> but, um, but like, we all work together, you know what I mean? And there's a great sense of team spirit and everyone loves what they're doing. There is just that passion and that drive, which is without doubt my favorite thing about, about studying science in college. Can I ask you to sum up your society in one word, please? Uh, one word, I would say exciting, to be honest. Nice. Yeah. And is it exciting? It is. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's something that like, yeah, it's something that gets me out of bed every day. You know what I mean? Um, it's something that, you know, I, I, I often find myself genuinely looking forward to, to do new things, you know, with the society trying to, you know, push the boundary, you know what I mean? So yeah, I would say exciting. Nice. Would you say it's your favorite part of college? Yes, no doubt about it. That's class. That's good motivation for anyone listening to to get involved in society. And you said there, there's different people from all courses in the society, uh, the science society. And obviously science is such a general term. It could literally mean anything. It could mean astronomy, it could mean neuroscience, it could mean chemistry, physics, whatever. How does the society bring everyone in to get on with each other and chat when you're all coming from such different areas and could be interested in different areas of science? How does that come together in the society? Um, yeah, so essentially... I suppose one kind of misconception is that like, you know, we sit around when we have our meetings and we talk about science. That's not, that's not what we do. Um, that's like, we, we, we run events that are science orientated, but on the Science Society Committee, we're a team where we put on these, these, these events. You know what I mean? Now, obviously prior to COVID, we would have ran Science Ball. You know what I mean? We would have ran Science Week. You know what I mean? We would have done all of these different things, academic talks, graduate talks, the whole shebang. And they require people from, all but you know, with all different skill sets so organization finance you know what i mean like like people have to you know we have, to, we have we can't be in debt at the end of the day and you know everyone just has that that interest and that desire to 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 help you know what i mean like there's very few people who'll sit back and tell you that you know if someone's going to come in and talk about launching a rocket they're going to be like well that's just not at all interesting or not at all engaging and i couldn't be bothered with that you know what i mean most people will most people will find some sort of common ground you know what I mean? And that's kind of that's kind of how we how we aim to go about doing things. Like this year, obviously things were very different. But our goal is never to even educate. You know what I mean? Like the college can do that. Your your your, de- your degree can do that. You know, that's why you go to college. Um our our goal has always more so been to just spark interest and spark curiosity. You know what I mean? If you can look at one of our Instagram posts and then go off and watch a 15-minute YouTube video about, I don't know. COVID-19 myths debunked or, you know, how to put a satellite in orbit or how to, you know, make a vaccine, then that's, that's our job done. Yeah, no, I, I get you. Ben, what's something you think people don't actually realize about astronomy? Well, I suppose it's, it's just something that kind of almost just as part of being human that we almost inherit, you know, like it's, it, it, it gets quite philosophical in a way to think that like, for the most part, on a clear night, if you're staring up, that's the same sky that maybe our ancestors would have been looking at thousands and thousands of years ago. For the most part, that hasn't changed. Okay, maybe there might be a few more satellites knocking around up there. And when you look up, you might see something that looks maybe like a shooting star, which actually might be a satellite. 
I know some people kind of complain about that and they say, oh, it's kind of, it's, it's a form of light pollution and all that. But I think sometimes it can, it can be cool to know that uh, we as a species have managed to put that stuff up there and it's almost a kind of a, a testament to human achievement. And I think the pinnacle for that really comes when, again, on the app Sky Safari, you can set notifications for whatever different body you might be looking at, like as in, in my case, if I wanted to see the International Space Station overhead, uh, I might be able to set a notification and it, it'll just buzz me whenever that'll be coming overhead. So I've been out a few nights and being able to see that thing fly along is it's, it's pretty cool. Wow, that's great to hear, man. Like I can, I, the passion is oozing from you and it, it's really cool to see. Um, don't you have an annual multi-day event with other astronomy societies? Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. That's the uh, Joint Congress of University Astronomy Societies. We recently had that with ourselves, NUIG, UCC and Minute. We uh, got together virtually to just chat about all things space. We were very lucky to have some absolutely incredible guest speakers. We had Mark Woods, who is the head of autonomy and robotics at SISIS UK. And he's originally from Donegal. Uh, his area of interest is mainly robotics and AI and all that. And uh, the way he's kind of going about it is how do we incorporate AI technology into future rovers, say heading to the moon or Mars, because unfortunately, particularly Mars, because it's so far away, we're not going to be able to constantly be checking in on the rover. The rover has to kind of be able to think for itself. Uh, Another interesting talk that we had, I personally found it absolutely fascinating, was with Sarah Walsh, who is a PhD student with the UCD Space Science Group. And she gave us the rundown on AirSat-1, which is set to be Ireland's first satellite launching sometime next year, hopefully. Uh, We don't know when exactly that's going to be going up because of COVID, but... uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool to to think that there might be a little bit of uh, a little bit of Ireland up in space there with the uh, with, with the AirSat one and the guys in UCD working on that. That's cool. So they've so Ireland have put together their own science team and, and put together a satellite and they're launching it up there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, in uh, in UCD they're uh, they're working on Ireland's first satellite, which is uh, which incredible. Is pretty cool. So would it be common for most countries to have a satellite up there, or is that just Ireland doing very well? It's, uh, it's actually quite interesting. Uh, that's a very good question in the sense that there are other countries that uh, we might perceive as being less technologically advanced or whatever, but even they've managed to kind of leapfrog us when it comes to putting um, satellites uh, up in Earth orbit. But uh, we've kind of been a bit slow there, unfortunately. Um, but uh, eventually we'll be able to, to put that right because there are so many different countries that have put satellites in orbit. Like I think when you think back to the 60s, it was only kind of US and Russia, and I suppose they were the only two, but I mean, there's loads of countries now that have at least a satellite up there in some way, shape or form. So uh, it'll be nice to be uh, joining that uh, spacefaring community. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I was I was obviously uh, thinking that it was going to be just USA, Russia, China, and then Ireland were getting one up there as well. I was like, come on, Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it's more common than that, but still, it's still very impressive because we're a small country, like, you know, we don't have as much resources as all other countries. So, um, Kat, speaking about technology, does technology have an impact on how you're discovering new things in neuroscience? How is technology playing a role? Oh, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's huge. Basically with the rise of different imaging techniques that we have now available, we are able to achieve so many great things. Like we can actually look at uh, calcium levels in cells in real life and 
be able to see things happening in real life and, and animals and, and humans that we ever were not able to to see previously. But I feel like with the society work, um, yesterday we had an event from someone in New Zealand. And, you know, it was really great to, to be able to have that via Zoom because, you know, there was like, what, 12 hour difference. And everyone was just there like 9 a.m. with their cup of coffee, listening to, you know, someone from Auckland talking about like their amazing research. So I definitely think that with, there's like this kind of exponential increase of this uh, new improved technique and technology, for example, with imaging can lead to so many discoveries and so many papers that I just think it's it's a really great time now to be in sciences at this stage. Definitely, yeah. I'd love to pick your brain about uh, technology now. Um, excuse the pun there. So pick <laughs> your brain, let me see that. <laughs> um, about, so Elon Musk has come out and he's spoken about um, putting AI into humans, putting AI chip into people's brains. And basically that will be able to download and have software of our own memories. And um, it's not that far off, like, people basically being borderline like robots and like going in and fixing Alzheimer's and blindness for people. Is he talking complete crap or is neuroscience to that level where we can fix that? Like, no, you, I mean, look, we, we're, we are doing great things and we are, you know, able to potentially in the next few decades get closer to curing some neurological disorders or stopping their progression. But I think what people kind of don't realize it is that, you know, he comes out and says like, oh yeah, we're going to be able to put in the like the chip and then be able to store our memories but it's like we don't actually know a lot about how memories are stored and memory is such a complex um it's a it's a very complex process like if you think about okay i don't know your favorite food for example right or something that your mom used to always make and that would bring a certain memory to you and you can remember the smell of it the taste of it what you were feeling at the time that encompasses many different experiences at the same time and it's a really really complicated process and same with like you know neurodegenerative disorders you're looking at first of all many different disorders that are very different from one another that potentially could have different origins and you can't just sort of throw ai at it and try and fix it so I don't think that's reasonable to say. It just no, sorry. No, fair enough. That's why we have you on. We want we want your educated opinion on it. I, yeah, I do feel like it's a crazy statement to come out with that we just put chips into people's brains and fix Alzheimer's, fix blindness. But it's a lovely idea. But I'm like, are we that advanced? Like we don't even have flying cars, yeah. do we? So it's like you're fixing people. Um, so where do you think, Kat, is staying on that topic, where do you think science is going in the future? Where, Like in five years, 10 years time, what's going to be happening? I think we'll definitely have some sort of change in, I think this might be kind of a bit of a boring side to it, but I think there's a shift happening in how studies are being published. Um, so for example, now there's a very sort of huge focus on only positive results and the good stories and the positive outcomes being reported. But actually there's so much value to be learned from the studies that didn't work. And you know, learning about others labs who, okay, we tried to do this, that didn't work. And this is how we did it. So someone can take it and then, you know, kind of learn, learn from these mistakes. And I think there will definitely be a, a, a shift in how labs and scientists communicate with one another. And I'm hoping that because of that, there can be more sort of a coherent approach as to, okay, what we're actually kind of trying to achieve. And the thing about neuroscience that you have diseases like, for example, Alzheimer's disease that, you know, we've known about for decades now and 
there's so many papers on it. I mean, and there's so many groups trying to 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 figure out what's happening. But it's so complex that I think we'll finally. My wish is that in the next like 50 years, we'll be able to to have a clear and objective kind of view of what's causing neurodegenerative disorders and the exact sort of state of the cells and and what's actually going on in them. And once we once we figure that out, once we gain that full picture view, then we'll probably be able to 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 come up with treatment. Not as flashy as, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was looking for spaceships and everywhere there. But no, no, it's perfect. I love hearing the the like genuinely what's actually going on in, in the world. Barry, what if I said to you, sir, I am not into science and I never will be. It's not for me. How would you convince me to to open up my uh, my interest into science? I would say that that's a load of rubbish <laughs> and that science is more than STEM, which is science, technology, engineering and maths. Science is like literally everywhere. You know what I mean? Like I'm studying chemistry, yet I watch videos on YouTube about, you know, how a plane works. You know what I mean? Or how, you know, free range eggs are better than not free range eggs. You know what I mean? Like I, like there is so much stuff out there. Even like with TikTok and all that coming on stream, we are exposed like to so much stuff now that I would say that if you're not interested in science, it's just a matter of time before you come across something that tickles your interest. You know what I mean? It mightn't be, it's not, it, it mightn't be what I'm studying in college. It mightn't be what anyone's studying in college, but there'll be something that can be classified as science that you will find interesting somewhere in, 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 in life. I promise you, you know what I mean? That's how broad science is. Funny you say that when I was in college, so I decided to do law. Uh, I'm still studying it now. I got my degree and I'm just trying to do the professional FE1 exams. And uh, I used to go to my mate's sports science lectures in college. I'd voluntarily go and miss my own law lectures to go to the sports science ones to sit in. And I honestly would be glued to what the lecturer is saying. I was like, I was like, oh my God, this is the most interesting things ever. Why didn't I do this as my course? The reason I didn't do it was because it took, there was too many hours needed in the week and I was trying to be a professional rugby player at the time. But I remember I was even like answering questions in the science sports, uh, sports science lecture and stuff because I was just so interested in it. And um, I kind of wish I did it now and I obviously can. I'm only a young fellow. I can always go back and do something. But as you say, it just shows that there's an area of science for everyone and science is such a broad area but you can hone in on for instance I like sports science you like chemistry Ben likes astronomy so there's something for everyone isn't there? That's it like yeah So what? what's something you think a listener can put into practice in their daily life right now to kind of spark that interest in science is there anything you'd recommend? I know for me now I mean like I kind of, we, I, I kind of grew up in the YouTube state you know the YouTube era and I feel like that's, that's kind of transitioned to TikTok but yeah definitely for me it was it 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 it's it, it's what it's like watching watching YouTube stuff online. You know what I mean? I I was like I I think that I'm doing what I do today because when I was in first year of secondary school, I got tonsillitis and I was out of school for about a week. I'd just gotten an iPad and I uh, sat at home um, on the couch watching Chris Hadfield, who's a Canadian astronaut um, and he was commander of the international space station at the time and he was uploading youtube videos of like just how to make a sandwich in space and how to brush your teeth in space and how to shave in space and all this which completely random stuff that you know that's science you know what i mean like th- th- that is science and uh, I, it was because of those videos that i was like yeah this is this is something that's really cool and this is why i'm going to go and why i'm going to study it so i would say just yeah find something online like you can learn anything online nowadays you really can and everyone says it but you really really can learn whatever you want online yeah, it's all there. It's just about taking the first step and actually looking up something and and having the having the right attitude to to want to learn something. Uh, 
Ben, do you think that because there's a misconception about science and people just kind of steer away from it because it's just a complicated area? Or what, what do you feel about the misconceptions around science? Well, I, I think in general, yeah, there's absolutely misconceptions. And particularly with the way things have gone in the, uh, the last couple of years, even within kind of without trying to get too political here, but there's kind of science has become very politicized in the sense that science is almost seen as an agenda, which is which which is sad in a way, because science is science is there for everyone. You know, it's um, like like Barry said, everything is out there, you know, and anyone can get involved like everybody does experiments to some degree uh, on on a daily basis. Like I think a fantastic example I could give. And I think the, the nutritionists of the world might uh, give out to me for this, but I think the best example of doing an experiment even just involves just getting a takeaway. Um, uh, like you might have your usual uh, that you, that you might like, and then you see when you, you go onto the app or whatever, and you're looking at the menu and then you see, Oh, there's, there's something new there. I might try that. I mean, even something as simple as that, that is an experiment. You know, you, you decided to experiment with something new to see whether you liked it or not, you know, and even at its most basic level, even that's science, you know, so science is not this complicated thing that people do away in labs. It's something that we all do. Yeah. Like you're just saying it there and I'm instantly picturing when I think scientists or science experiments, I'm taking Big Bang Theory series and Sheldon and all them in their offices away, locked away. And that's it. And I don't understand what he's doing because he's doing stuff that's going to improve the world, but it's too complicated for me. And do you think TV series like Big Bang Theory have led to these misconceptions that people like myself have about science? To a certain degree, they probably have. And I think, unfortunately, the thing is, well, especially the Big Bang Theory, because the, the emphasis is so heavily on physics. I mean, I, I, I'm studying physics, so I suppose there's, uh, there's a few elements of uh, the show that you'd be like, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of clever. But it's, it's unfortunately so niche that not everyone would be able to understand that. And because that's the case, they kind of think, oh, well, this is what science is like. It's not for me because I haven't a clue what's going on. And that's unfortunate in a way because... Science is so much broader than that. It's not just uh, a couple of lads just uh, sitting around awkwardly, kind of scratching their heads, trying to, to solve very obscure problems. It's, uh, it's real stuff that people do on the daily, you know? Yeah. And do you think uh, science fiction, so sci-fi movies have a role to play in um, people having misconceptions as well, because it's just not showing the real side of science? Uh that's a double, uh, that's a double-edged sword in a way, but uh, it's a very good question because I think sci-fi is probably one of the main reasons that I really, really love science growing up. Like, I mean, I am a total Star Wars nerd. I absolutely love Star Wars, and I suppose in a way there is an element of me that's a little bit frustrated that we don't have lightsabers yet. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, yeah, there's there's that. And I can remember a biology teacher we had back in school and he said that he absolutely hated Star Wars because um, he, he said particularly like for all the space battles and you have all the spaceships flying around and all that. And he said, why is there sound? There should be no sound in space and all, all that. And to a certain degree, I, I understand what he's getting at. But at the same time, I'm like, but I like this so much. Come on, you know? So there's two elements to sci-fi in the sense that it can really draw people in. And a lot of people that I would have talked to, they're like, yeah, I was, I was really into Star Wars or Star Trek or any of those kind of uh, uh, TV shows or movies where science would be kind of front and center. It really got them into 
science, whereas at the same time, there tends to be a level of frustration that that level of technology isn't there. And yeah, you're, I think you're, you perfectly put it there with the metaphor of it's a double-edged sword. So it brings people's interest and sparks an interest, but then it also kind of leads to these absurdities that things just couldn't be real. Like, so um, we still need the sci-fi movies, but it's probably take with a pinch of salt. Um, Cass, does having an interest in science make you see the world differently? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I think there was, you know, you mentioned a really great point about how um, science has become politicized in the in the recent years. And I think uh, having an interest in science, I think you kind of become a bit more aware of like, hang on, how did actually this person or this politician reach that conclusion? Or why are we doing this? Like, I think you kind of take everything of a bit of a pinch of salt you're not sort of jumping to conclusions as, you know, as fast because you have to sort of carefully consider like how the data was obtained. How do we arrive to this conclusion? And I think that would be, that would be one way to like sort of on an everyday when you watch the news and then you see um, like, I don't know, the COVID conferences and how uh, you have all these, you know, politicians working with scientists and that has a sort of a, a real life impact while simultaneously you also see all these fake news posts being made and you're just kind of wondering wait can we just kind of take a break like think for a second and then just reevaluate um our, our perception of, of it so i think that would be one way in which that kind of changes your perception of of, of what's happening around you yeah it's probably it makes you question things more and think uh how could this have happened you more need like it makes you look straight at things rather than just accepting it yeah definitely Brilliant. Yeah, I know I like that way way of thinking. But kind of staying on the, the topic of uh, brains and neuroscience, is it true that we only use a very small percentage of our brains and we're actually a lot more in, intelligent than we realize or have a lot more potential of intelligence than we realize? Uh, so, no, I, no, it's, it's not true that we only use a small percentage of our brain. That would be like, evolutionarily, that would just be a very bad system if you have all these like, you know, things that are just kind of wasting our energy. There are so many things that we have to do with our brains, like at any given moment that uh, the whole thing of like, we only use 10% of our brain is just not true. Although apparently a lot of people believe in it. However, we do have a lot of potential for, you know, let's say improving our intelligence, whatever that may be. There's, you know, a lot to be said about um, practicing mindfulness, for example, or, or the benefits of meditation, you know, having a relatively healthy lifestyle, reducing screen time and all these things that we can do to sort of um, feel better, minimize our anxiety and therefore potentially perform better. So um, it's not like we don't use our brains. It's just that, you know, we could potentially, let's say, optimize them. No, brilliant. It's, good. it's very interesting. I would have been one of the people that thought like, I think we only use a certain percentage of our brain, but obviously I wouldn't have thought about it too much. It's just because you hear it everywhere, but it's good to be put uh, <laughs> put right there and told, told the correct answer. Um Barry, what would be your top tip for someone that's in college and they want to get involved in science um, or want to get involved in something, but they don't know what to do at the moment? It's a little bit kind of cliche nearly and it's a little bit kind of cringy, but just do it. Just send it like just 100%. When you start college, when you go into first year, it's going to be an uncomfortable time. Regardless, you're going to be moving away. It's going to be a massive change. You're going to be living with people who you've possibly never seen before in your life. So you're going to be uncomfortable anyway. So just push yourself that little bit more, get involved. You know what I mean? Try something new. And like the big misconception is that like all of us here in science society that, you know, 
we all talk about science. Like we really don't, you know what I mean? Um, I've had the best nights out with astrophysicists and, you know, you know, analytical chemists, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're great crack, you know what I mean? And everyone is, you know what I mean? Everyone just there to make friends and to just have a bit of crack. So just get involved in whatever you can. You can always drop stuff. You can always hang up the boots or hang up the lab coat and be like, no, I'm going to take a step back and, you know, concentrate on X, Y, and Z, but just get out there and give it a shot. It's brilliant, man. You should be a career advisor or something. I'm so motivated listening to you. <laughs> and Kat, could I just ask you, if someone's not in college, but they have an interest in, in science or neuroscience like yourself, would you have any top tips for them to uh, kind of follow that interest and, and learn more about it? Uh, actually, yeah. So I would kind of go the old fashioned way of recommending uh, books. So there's a really interesting one on phantoms in the brain, uh, human nature and the architecture of the mind by V.S. Ramachandran and Sandra Blakesley, which is a really cool book about phantom limb pain. So uh, the whole idea that someone may lose a limb, but they would actually still feel pain in that limb. And then the other author could be Oliver Sacks, which is also another popular, I think he's a neurologist. Um, I actually find his way of writing a bit unpleasant to read, but the topic is really interesting. So, and then the same kind of, uh, I think, advice I would give would be just follow a bunch of people that you think are doing good content on neuroscience on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And if you're really interested in neuroscience, I would recommend doing a course in medical neuroscience on, I think it's on Coursera.org or EDX, those platforms. They're usually free of charge. You don't need to get the certificate and we can learn loads and it's wildly available. So those would be my three tips. Lovely. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks for all that. Uh, just uh, adding on to that, uh, Ben, if someone isn't in college, but they want to discover something new, what would you say to them? Any top tips for those people? Um, well, obviously I think YouTube is probably one of the best resources out there. Like you've so many different, um, channels and different YouTubers out there that, um, are just promoting science content and they are probably the best place to start. Like, I'm just trying to think of a few off the top of my head. I know Hank Green is, uh, a fantastic one. He, uh, he offers Crash Course, uh, are the name of the channels that he has. And he has different channels for all of these different science subjects. So, it's so broad. Um, it, it's almost hard to find any that aren't interesting. Like he just has such a way of making them interesting. But I suppose if I was to get back to astronomy more specifically, um, there are some fantastic astrophysics uh, YouTubers out there. One off the top of my head, Dr. Becky is her name, uh, Dr. Rebecca Spethurst. Uh, she's fantastic. And uh, she's quite witty in the way that she's able to uh, break down what are, I suppose, essentially very complex topics. I think uh, there are also, even on Netflix as well, there's some fantastic stuff out there as well. Either Neil deGrasse Tyson and Brian Cox are two names that are coming to mind and they're both absolutely fantastic. And they're just, they just have such a way of breaking it down even for uh, people like myself who are involved in this kind of stuff, but still might struggle or even if you have no involvement at all, no matter what, you'll be able to understand this stuff and it just really draws you in. Yeah, I agree with you. I've, even for myself, like I'm obviously uh, nowhere near the level of intelligence you have in relation to science, but I, I, I watch kind of YouTube videos and I, and I learn things and I hear uh, theories and I'm like, wow, that is really, really interesting. And you lear I learned a lot more than I thought I would. Um, for instance, like 
there's things that science just can't explain that are happening in the world, which is just, I think, so interesting. For instance, there's one thing called the Devil's Kettle Waterfall in Minnesota. So it's basically, there's just two waterfalls right beside each other. One flows down ground into the river like a normal waterfall should. There's another one right beside it that goes into a hole in the ground and they can't find out where it's going. They've put ping pong balls down there, they don't come out. They've put colour dye in there, it doesn't come out. They've thrown everything down there and they can't find where it's going. And they no scientists can come up with any theories to, to well, they come up with theories, but they can't come up with, um, they, it can't be proven, it can't be confirmed their theories. So it's really interesting to, to hear these things that are happening around the world that just science can't explain. It's, another one is Stonehenge. They can't come up with a, a confirmed theory that how they got the stones in that shape and why they did it and in that, and, and it's just so amazing to listen to it on YouTube and and what it got me thinking was is there another level to the world that science just can't explain and there's more going on than than just science what do you think Ben? Well I think in a way anyone who would claim to be a scientist and say absolutely not there isn't an extra level to the world we live in that science can't explain that's not correct either Um, like obviously science has been incredible for I suppose advancing humanity and just making all of our lives easier in a way but to say that science is all the answers is isn't correct and it's in a way it's it's giving science far too much credit there's a few instances like you said where this stuff completely breaks down and it's just useless and I think there needs to be a level of being okay with that like as in just this uh this constant state of oh well we have to know the answer Like, there's no harm in trying to find the answer out. But if after trying to find out the answer, you still don't have an answer, there needs to be a certain level of, well, okay, maybe maybe we won't know what happens. You know, like, um, I think uh, particularly within kind of like quantum physics, when you get into the really nitty gritty, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that there is some stuff that you just won't know. And there needs to be kind of a level of acceptance of, oh, well, okay, we'll, we, we try to find out something, but maybe this is beyond our ability to explain. Yeah, a bit, a bit of acceptance as well. Because that kind of leads me on nicely to my next question I want to ask you, Ben. It was about um, the universe. Obviously, you're, you're very interested, interested in that. And this kind of analogy that I've heard that Earth, we are essentially a grain of sand on a beach in relation to the universe. Like that's how insignificant we are. And some people think that we're the only species, only living things in the universe and other people don't. Um, What's your take on all that? Well, I suppose in the past, there's been loads of people who've tried to kind of answer that question. And uh, a lot of people have crunched the numbers and given a bunch of different estimates, they say that there are millions of other civilizations on other planets out there, or even, I suppose, in a kind of a worst case scenario, they say at least there there might still be a few thousand. But uh, even still, I suppose, again, there's a kind of a whole element of we just don't know. Um, is there other life out there? I suppose, because that would be a massive philosophical question that astronomers and astrophysicists are seeking to answer. But I suppose if we're to kind of dial it back a small bit uh, first, uh, there might actually be life closer to home. Uh, I suppose recently, a few months ago, there was uh, a lot of excitement around Venus. They thought they had found life in the upper atmosphere there where the temperature is a little bit colder than what it would be on the surface where they might be able to survive up there. But then they backtracked again because they thought they discovered phosphine and they're like, oh, well, the amount of phosphine that's up there, there must be something living there that's producing this. And then they kind of dialed it back and they were like, oh, hang on a second. Maybe the instruments got it wrong. There might be something else. I think they found sulfur dioxide. So it might just be a kind of a false alarm. So there could be life anywhere in the universe. It's just hard to kind of 
imagine what that might be. So it could be something very simple like microbial life. So maybe when we do go looking for more complex life, it might be a bit unrealistic to expect to find baby Yoda hanging out somewhere. <laughs> yeah yeah because what usually gets thrown out is that uh, there's no conditions anywhere else in the universe that people can survive or uh, life can survive but I was kind of looking into it then and there's this place called Moville Cave in Romania it's this underground cave huge obviously cave and it wasn't discovered for 5.5 million years and someone stumbled across it because they were trying to build like a, I don't know some buildings or whatever and they uh, broke into it, whatever, uh, knocked away all the rock and they found there was toxic carbon dioxide air in there that it was just, if you even breathed it as a human, you'd die. But then obviously they went in with masks and they kind of uh, excavated it and they found 33 different species in there that were just living away in the ecosystem um, and it was just, they weren't found anywhere else in the world. It was just in this cave and they couldn't find these species anywhere else in the world. So that kind of suggested that there can be life outside the Earth's conditions. And I kind of, I kind of like that idea that there, there's more to it than what we just think. It's not just us. Absolutely. Like, I think um, another area within kind of our own local solar system that people are very, very interested in at the moment is a moon of Jupiter called Europa. So I suppose at first glance, it doesn't look anything special. It looks like just this, this frozen ball of ice. But then if you kind of give it uh, a closer look, you find that underneath the layer of ice, there's a whole ocean. So there is a massive ocean covering the whole planet. And the main question you might ask is, well, what's down there? You know, there could be anything down there. Like you said, in the, the cave in Romania, they were able to excavate it and they found loads of new species that they hadn't found anywhere else on the earth in these absolutely awful conditions that anything else would probably curl up and die in. And these things were just there living. Um, so it would definitely be a goal of the scientific community if we're trying to find life anywhere in the solar system they're thinking yeah we need to send a mission to europa get it under the ice and maybe kind of explore the ocean there to see if we can find any more of these uh extremophiles that uh, live in these ridiculous uh environments and somehow manage to call that home yeah no it's really interesting i can see why people like you have such a passion for this area is because there's so much to be discovered and that's the beauty of science and and that's why we need science in the world yeah i think it's a great way to kind of wrap up the chat i've had a great time talking to you guys i just want to kind of get the handles off you of your societies or websites or where people can actually find you so um we'll go to you first ben how can someone find the astronomy society in ul well i suppose we mostly kind of hang out on uh, on instagram and our uh our account name would be in, uh, astronomy uh, underscore UL. So that's where most of our stuff would happen. So if uh, if you wander on there, you might uh, keep an ear to the ground for new events or posts that might be happening in the near future. Lovely. Thank you. And Kat, how can someone find the Neuroscience Society in Trinity? Oh, uh, follow us on Twitter at NeuroSocTCD. Lovely stuff. Thank you. And Barry, how can someone get in touch or find something to do with the Science Society in UCC? Uh, yeah, um, Instagram is probably your best bet, and it's just UCC Science Doc. Drop us a drop us a DM, and we'll we'd love to have a chat with you. Brilliant. Okay, thanks very much. All right, so I think we had an incredible chat there about science. I learned so many things very interesting points made by everyone thanks very much for joining me and having the chat if you want to learn even more make sure you check out the huge range of free online courses on votefornext.ie you'll also find all the other votefornext cast episodes up there like the performing one the filmmaking one the tech one the business one an activism one a health one and the music one and they were all really really interesting and we got more episodes coming up very soon 
Of course, a massive thank you to Vodafone X for making all of this happen. And also to my three lovely guests, Barry, Ben and Kat, for taking the time to chat to me today. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks a million. Brilliant. It was, it was a great chat. Um, and thank you at home for listening. I'll catch you next time. Goodbye.